Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Before we kick off the show, if you're a fan of History Hack, please do what you can to support the show. We completely get that not everyone is able or willing to dig into their pockets. Times are hard. But by dropping a like, subscribing on Twitter and YouTube, and importantly, leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts, you can help the programme grow and reach more people. If you're interested in becoming a supporter, go to patreon.com forward slash history hack, where you'll find perks from secret Facebook groups to early release material. If you just want to leave us a one-off tip, go to co-fee.com forward slash history hack. The links are in the description. And whatever form your kind support takes, know that we are massively grateful. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to today's History Hack. I'm very excited today, not only because we've got a topic that I absolutely love, but because Heather is going to co-host for the first time. Heather, how are you doing? Terrified. (laughs) Don't be, because our guest is really lovely. It's not a scary guest at all. Tell everyone who it is. Today we have Anne Fletcher, who is a historian and writer working in the heritage sector, including sites like the Hampton Court Palace, St. Paul's Cathedral, and Bletchley Park. She's the author of From the Mill to Monte Carlo and Widows of the Ice, the women that Scott's Antarctic expedition left behind. And hello. Hi there. Oh, this is brilliant. And we are talking about the second one, aren't we? we and this is we are. I just... I like that now all of a sudden it's okay to ignore the men and write a book about the women and encouraging us to do this. Exactly, exactly. And that was my real impetus because I studied all this sort of thing at university Mm. and I don't think we ever talked about women once in four years. I was looking back unless it was Elizabeth the first. It's 10 years ago. They would have gone, no one cares about the wives. (laughs) Let's talk about the men. And now actually we're being encouraged, aren't we? We are. It's great. Yeah. Yay! Right, so having said that, let's quickly talk about the men and then we can get rid of them. Sure. Uh, there are five of them on the last leg of Scott's expedition to the South Pole. Who That's are right. they? What do we know about their last days? So, Scott, obviously, the leader of the expedition, uh, he selected four people, to, four men to go with him. So, there's Ted Wilson, who is a, a doctor and scientist, and Scott's very, very close friend. There is uh, Captain Oates, who most people have heard of because Oates was the one who went out of the tent saying, I may be some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Birdie Bowers, uh, and also Edgar Evans, who was the, the one who was a petty officer. The others were all officers. So those five set out for the pole, got there, found they'd been beaten by the Norwegian party by only a matter of weeks, and then had to set off home. And on the way home, they died. 
Yeah. And that's that whole sort of, he writes a diary in his tent and they found the diary. They found, and that's the extraordinary thing, actually, is that they found all of those documents because that's the bedrock of, of the, the legend, really, of the, of the men. Because they fully expected them to have fallen down a crevasse, you know, not to ever have found them. But they found the bodies and they found, as you quite rightly say, the diaries and the letters to the women, which are absolutely incredible. And that's the sort of start of this story, really. Yeah, and we were just talking about Belgrave Ninnis, who's obviously with Mawson um, beforehand. Mm. Uh, he did, he fell down a crevasse taking all the food with him, didn't he, by accident, obviously. Um, yes. And that's it. No Quite rem- a common thing. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. It really is. You walk on the wrong spot and you're gone. And that's yeah, what you say. Exactly. And I, that's what they assumed had happened. So it was it was extraordinary to find them and to find all those records. Yeah. Okay, so of of those five guys, three of those were married. Scott, Wilson, and Evans. That's it. So who were their wives and what were their lives like prior to their marriages? So the wives were quite different because the men were quite different. So you have Kathleen, who's married to Scott. And mm. Kathleen had a very, very bohemian, she was an artist, sculptor, becomes very famous as a sculptor, a very bohemian life, travelled a lot, knew the world. So she's a very different woman then to Oriana, who's married to, to Ted, who is a woman of enormous faith. So she believes everything that happens is God's will. And so does he. Their whole life is steered by this belief in God. And then Lois, who is married to Edgar, She's his cousin. They sort of grew up together. Um, she spent a lot of time in rural Wales. So working class Welsh, very different to the two other women who've had a much more middle class, educated, rarefied sort of life. And then they all marry these men who all die together and they're thrown together. But they're very different women. It's quite bonkers, isn't it? I, I imagine I just always thought that Kathleen might find... Um, Wilson's wife a bit tedious yes I don't think quite right they're not <laughs> the kind of women that would be best friends if they weren't thrown together by this situation would they no they didn't like each other I think we can say that quite safely so the, the men who loved each other were very close assume the women would feel the same and they really didn't as you can say so uh, you know Kathleen thought Oriana was a bit of a prig and very dull mm. and Oriana obviously thought Kathleen was just shocking <laughs> and awful um, so they tried, they had this lunch and um, they just did not get on and it it really never got much better. And, and so they were thrust together then on this, the first leg of the expedition, these two women went to New Zealand with all the men. And so they had a lot of time together, which is you know, not necessarily a good thing. So no, I think it's very fair to say they would, in normal circumstances, would probably never have met and certainly wouldn't have got on. Before we um, ditch the guys, uh what are their marriages like in terms of, uh, are they happy? Are, are, are they dirtbag? Have we got the whole long <laughs> George scenario going on here with the other women? Or Well, you know, we only know what we know from what's left behind, don't we? Yeah. And what we, uh, so um, for, for Scott, I mean, but it was the time of letter writing. So there are a lot of letters, which is great. So, but they're also either very short. So Scott and Kathleen were only married for four years. Mm before he died. Oriana and Ted were married for 11, but he was away for most of that time. So they were unusual marriages. They didn't actually spend a lot of time together. But I think what you can see in Scott and Kathleen's letters is that they were really um, a partnership of equals. 
he respected her opinion. He spoke to her about things. He asked her about things. She went along on the expedition. A lot of the men didn't like that. You know, but there seems to be, I mean, it was only four years. Who knows what would have happened later, but very happy four years. Um, Ted and Oriana at Simile, you know, he's just not there most of the time. But the time that he is there, she's, um, you know, she has this feeling that he has this mission from God almost to go and do this work. And so she's happily supporting him. So it's it's that sort of probably more typical Edwardian relationship where she's very happy to, to serve his needs, really. Um, when you get to Edgar and Lois, there is an infidelity. So there is um, a story of Edgar actually fathering children with another woman before he goes away. And the family know, you know, talked about this. And I've looked into it a little bit about who this woman was. And I, and I think... Not that you'd ever condone any of these sort of things, but you can you can sort of understand the situation there. There he's been away on an expedition, he's come back, they've got two young children, they don't have a huge amount of money. He's probably bored because he would actually rather be away traveling and doing exciting things. Poor Lois is left running the house. He actually gets involved with a the widow of a another sailor. And he's come across her either through the, this guy's work or because she's bereaved and there's various structures put in place to help people. But however this happens, he's drawn to this other woman and um, and and she has his children. And, uh, you know, as far as I know, there's never any relationship between us. It's all a horrible mess. And Lois is left in the middle of all of this with this betrayal and her own children. So whatever happens, then we don't we don't know whether she fully forgave him whether she decided to forgive him whether she they just but they move on and you know they continue to be married but of course they are cousins you know they're in they're not just husband and wife they are also related they are, they are family they're so um interconnected other, aren't they? yeah and they've got children and all of that so like a lot of women you know and particularly then when you've got no other source you know she's she loves you know she loves him she's willing to forgive him who knows what it was like after that. But that, yeah, we do know that happened. Nice to know that back then they had just as messy relationships as yeah, we have now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. And I think you forget, it's easy to forget that, isn't it? When you just say, of course, yeah, this stuff happens. And yeah, women have to make this, I mean, actually fewer choices probably, yeah. but they still have to make those same decisions about, you know, do I ditch him? Do I carry on? Yeah. And certainly later, she she spends the rest of her life really, or a lot of it, defending him and his role in the expedition. So there's a lot of love and loyalty there. So they must have got through it. Still don't like him though. <laughs> 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 Makes me wonder what if they had like family reunions, how awkward that could have been. If they knew. Yeah, this is true. True. I don't know if they knew because the the you know I think it was sort of you know they obviously moved. You can't have a Twitter meltdown in 1912, can you? No, and maybe they didn't tell you. You know, they were the family in Wales. They're in Port. This happens in Portsmouth. Mm. Perhaps they just, you know, perhaps it just they just decided to move on. Who knows? But yeah, not great. So, how were the women uh, and the wives of these men kept in uh, informed about the expedition's progress? I mean. Yeah. Again, no Twitter, no email, no no cell phones, no texting. Precisely. So, well, not, we know that's a great question because actually it's something that's very hard for us to understand, I think, now that there was no communication. So there were telegrams. Um, the, the furthest, so what they did was they set off from England 
and they they went to New Zealand. New Zealand was the sort of point from which they then went to Antarctica. So up until that point, there was communication because there were telegrams. Um, obviously, you could write letters. Letters could get back. Once they left New Zealand, then they were out of contact. Okay. Completely. So, so that's like waving goodbye to your husband for a couple of years and not yes, like you say, if he's falling potentially down, a couple of years. Yeah. yeah. So and letters could get so the ship didn't stay out there because they'd had experience, you know, with, with Shackleton and all the stuff about endurance recently, you know, the ships could get stuck in the ice. So the ship went backwards and forwards to New Zealand. And so letters could be taken to the men in Antarctica from the women. They could be brought back, but they often overlapped. Um, you know, the time it took a letter to get back, one of them might have written another one. Sometimes they didn't arrive. So it's not a, a massively reliable way of keeping in touch. And you certainly didn't know. And so, of course, what happened was the men were dead for a year before the women found out. Wow. Which absolutely shows that the, the level of, you, you know, the, the level of keeping in touch. They want, they just, it just is, is that's the tragedy, really, to not know for that length of time. How do they find out that their husbands are dead? Well, through the press, really, basically, because um, the, the, um, the, their colleagues, the ship, when they get to New Zealand, so the, the teammates on, on, the, on the expedition send telegrams immediately to the wives, because obviously that's what you would do. They want them to know before anyone else. But the press obviously hear about it. The, the, it breaks in the newspapers before the wives hear the full story. And that is partly because Kathleen's on a boat in the middle of the ocean on their way to New Zealand to meet Scott. So they can't, nobody can tell her straight away. So she doesn't hear till quite a lot later. Mm. And she's actually told on the boat and she has to then, you know, deal with it on the boat with all these other passengers who also know, which she can't really get away from. So she has to put on a brave face and or she decides to put on a brave face. Oriana is in New Zealand. She misses the news. She arrives in Christchurch to meet Ted and she hears a newspaper hawker shouting out the news so she is at the station lois is out in the wilds of gower because she's gone back to her family uh, while edgar's away and the telegram does get to her but it's a bit you know sorry about the news you know our condolences it's not so she's aware that something's but she doesn't really know and yeah. then the next day the press arrive they they find her okay. and they they sort of stop her and tell her what's happened and she has to then talk to the press at the same time as she's processing the news so she has almost the worst, even then, then the worst yeah you know and part of that I mean it is you see the photos in the press of the children her children yeah. we've got two of them had gone to school that day and clearly the photos are taken before they're on their way home so they don't know so they photograph the children before the children know their father's dead. Pretty insensitive, isn't it? So, you know, please change, except, you know, you, you would hope it wouldn't be quite so brutal these days, but who knows? But that's what happened. So um, they're immediately having to deal with the press, even though they are, I mean, during the, while the expedition's been going on, Kathleen's been a focus of press attention anyway. Mm. And, and Peter, Peter Scott, their son, obviously. So those two have been a bit of a sort of, poster boy and girl for the expedition and people left behind but then the others start to get and you know particularly Lois who is not used to that world at all and performs fantastically really. In a sudden flash it all comes clear it's a eureka moment an epiphany. Hi I'm Marcus Smith host of the Constant Wonder podcast 
The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Given the circumstances, I can't imagine having to deal with that. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, you talk about about these women being forgotten widows and how they weren't just passive observers. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, I think it's because there's been a tradition of thinking of, of polar wives, of course, there's lots going back to Jane Franklin and, and all of those people, of being, and Jane Franklin was called, you know, they were, they're likened to Penelope, sitting quietly waiting for your man to return. So that was, the imp- that was the sort of image at the time, that these women just sat and waited. But in fact, they were very much involved with their husband's lives, as you would expect, as anybody would be. Um, Kathleen Loriana, as I said, actually went out to New Zealand on the first part of the expedition. So they were part of it. They were involved in, in Kathleen very much in the planning. Oh, it's good. Fundraising is always a big thing with this, isn't huge, it? Huge, exactly. So that the sort of the fundraising, the talk, particularly her talking to the press, and then being on the ship and being involved with decisions, and yeah. and she was very unpopular on the ship because a lot of the men thought this was really inappropriate. Yeah, but I mean, have. it's a huge PR role in effect. Huge, um, huge. And she, she actually supported him massively, didn't exactly. she? Exactly. So huge. I mean, they're side by side on this, definitely. Um, and Oriana similarly, you know, she her focus is very much Ted, but she, you know, she's the same. She's helping him pack his specimen. She's getting the equipment onto the ship. She's making sure he's got all the clothing he needs. So massively involved. Um, and with Lois, really, I mean, she's she's trying to keep the roof over their head. She's she's got three children. She comes to the fore really after the the, um, the bodies are found. And Edgar 
is blamed in some quarters for, for the death of the others, for slowing them down, because he had the misfortune to be injured first and to fail first. You know, so she then, in, in when she is asked by the press, and she, she's, she is valiant in her defence of him, and she will not let it be said that he was not a brave man doing his best. So she's thrust into, you know, that's where she really steps up. She's not passive at all. And when memorials start going up, to the group as a whole, but specifically to individuals, nothing gets put up to Edgar because there is this slight, um, you know, this criticism that's being thrown in some quarters by the press. So she pays for a monument to him in their local church. And it's the only one to him in, that's put up in her lifetime. So she is, you know, she's really empowered by that desire to make sure he's not forgotten and his, you know, that his part in it is, is remembered. So when they find out, um, it sounds horrific, there's no sort of time for them to digest what's happening at all. Um, In terms of all the documents they find and the bodies Mm. and everything, do they get that then? Do they actually get to know? Because obviously they've left them letters um, and they about them as well, about in a minute. Did they at least get to digest that before it became public knowledge? Oh, yeah, those remain private. So those are their private positions, yeah. And... um, so Edgar didn't, there were no letters for, they did never found Edgar's body um, because he died sort of on, on route. Um, the same with, with Oates. So, so for Lois, there's not, there is his journal, which is, was back at, at base, his sort of diary, so she gets that. The others do get, the others, so Kathleen and, and Oriana do get the final letters because their husbands know that they're going to die and they, they write these letters. And of course, uh, that is a huge comfort because the most likely scenario would was that they would never have been found and nobody would have known. But what those letters and their diaries do is tell their widows exactly what happened. And that, of course, must help them to process their grief a little bit because they they know how it came about. Um, and those, yeah, they're their private. Um, they're, it's up to them whether they want to share those or not. And in fact, they they really don't. I mean, Kathleen publishes Scott's diary eventually and Oriana publishes Ted's diary eventually but the letters they kept private because that was their their prerogative until obviously much you know much later and and you can see them now in in archives but yeah those were their private possessions they won't share they weren't shared unless they chose to. Scott famously said for God's sakes look after our people did they? Yes, well, yes, you're right. And that was that sort of, you know, for God's sake, look after our people is the last thing that he writes before he dies. And um, it, the press pick it up immediately and say, I've got to do this, got to do this. And there's a lot of confusion at first. Who's going to do this? Who's going to take charge? And eventually it all gets going. Yeah, and there is a, they set up um, a, a campaign to raise money for the, for the widows, the children and the, the mothers left behind. Um, so yeah, money is raised. Quite a lot of money is raised. Several million pounds are raised by public subscriptions. Their children are sending money in school children. You know, everybody. Um, and then the money is distributed. This being Edwardian times, not because they're being horrible, but because this is how the world works. It's distributed according to status rather than need. Mm. So Kathleen gets the most, and Peter is the only child who really gets their own pot of money so scott's descendants 
and, and, and Lois, who needs the most, gets the least. But, uh, you know, she's recorded as saying, well, you know, I'm very grateful. Of course she's very grateful because he, he, he is the breadwinner. She's got no other source of income than Edgar and he's gone. So this is vital, vital money. But it's not enough to take them off the, uh, you know, it means she never has to work again or the children never have to work again. But it's a safety, it's a safety raft. But there's a delay in getting the money. So she's, you know, she's got a real financial struggle for a good sort of year or so. Um, so in that sense, I suppose they, you know, they are looked after in that sense. There is a, you know, some provision is made. But then the world moves on, doesn't it? pretty quickly there's a things, world, things get, war, as there's well, a world war and then suddenly there's lots of women in this position so um yeah they you know they get some money they get that they get a, a lot of sort of press attention so press attention does carry on sporadically at different times through their lives but nothing as intense as 1913 when the news first breaks just in terms of you just mentioned about her struggling for a year afterwards mm directly after they lose their husband what does life look like like you say press attention financial mm. concerns all of them have got, well Lois specifically I mean her financial worries started before they died because at a certain point the expedition is in it has some financial difficulties and some of the crew decide with Scott to forego their salaries to try and help mm. so Edgar does this so Lois has no money <laughs> Um, so she actually is forced to leave Portsmouth with the children and go home to her family in Wales. So that happens before he dies. She's already done that. So she's in some financial difficulty anyway. Um, but once she gets home, it's much easier to, to sustain herself. She's, you know, she can live with her parents. They, it's a big farming community. They grow a lot of food. They're fairly self-sufficient out in, it's in Gower fairly self-sufficient in food because they all grow food so it's it's cheaper to subsist there so it's a very sensible thing to do so yeah she's got a she's got a period of you know suddenly thinking crack you know I've got three children it makes you want to give Edgar a slap doesn't it these are things you need to think about before you go trotting off to the South Pole yeah and of course he he didn't expect her to, he didn't expect to die he didn't expect her to be in financial difficulty you might say you perhaps should imagine that but he, for him, the, the, his plan was, you know, we get to the South Pole, we, we know if we get to the South Pole, we're going to be set for life because we're going to, you know, there's going to be money to be made from this. We, you know, there's books, there's interviews. There's a, that will set us up financially for the rest of our lives. He'd said, it's the last thing I'll do and then I'll retire. And it, so that was the plan. This is going to make it, make our future for us. This will be the last time. And um, it went wrong. Yes, it went wrong. And it shows the vulnerability, I think, of women at that time. It does. The vulnerability. Uh, incredible vulnerability, particularly working class women. Account the worst case scenario. Yeah. And for working class women in particular, it's like that. Somebody dies and you've, you know, your safety, right? There isn't a savings account. There isn't a, you know, a, a sort of benefits. There aren't things that you can rely on. Suddenly you are you are cut adrift. So her position is very, very vulnerable. Would you see like Kathleen helping her? Is there any kind of link between them? Not, it's hard to say, is it? Because there's no evidence of that. Doesn't mean that nothing happened. Yeah. So there's very little contact between the three women. Scott writes to 
leaves a number of letters to various people and he mentions Lois in one of those that's saying that you know she's going to be in in difficulty so I would and Kathleen when the money is is being collected Kathleen writes to the fund and says you must make sure that most of this goes to the dependents and it's not spent on statues and all of that Mm. so she is you know who knows I, I wouldn't have thought she would Stamp. I mean, Lois isn't destitute. She's not homeless. She's going back to her parents. I thought if there was anything really dread, I, I would think that they would know. And, and I would have thought that Kathleen would step in and certainly that she's in touch with the Lois is in touch with the fund people to go to visit her. Yeah. There's a point when her eldest son needs medical treatment. And of course, there's no NHS. The fund lends her money to do that. So she's not adrift. Yeah. She's got people she can contact. Um, so they're not being ruthless. They're not being horrible it's just you know they are this is the way it was Edwardian they're being Edwardian and they are nobody expected that you know they're not expecting to have to set this up they they try and set it up quickly it's not terribly efficient you know maybe it's not they're dealing with all of these things um so you know and in the end she's okay she's got you know she's got money coming in um but it's it would have been a dreadful dreadful time for her to suddenly panic and think you know this is all gone Whereas the other two weren't quite in that situation. You know, they had um, obviously more money behind them, but they inherited worries about their in-laws who had been reliant on. So Scott had supported his mother and sisters for years. So Kathleen sort of inherits that worry and Oriana the same. So all financial issues, but in different ways, really. There is one obvious way out for a widow with a financial need, Heather. So given that, you know, some of them were a little bit more financially strapped than others, marriage, again, would cure that problem. Did any of the women ever marry again? Only Kathleen. Yeah. So Oriana, I think, was had this very much this idea that that she and Ted were put together by God and, you know, let no man, how the phrase goes, you know, put us under. I... It would have been inconceivable, I think, that she would have ever married again. I think for her, he was a saint and, a, you know, and that was that. She's going down the Queen Victoria morning route, isn't she? Precisely. Yeah. And his legacy and we've got to make sure his work continues, all of that. We don't, Again, with Lois, there's very little with Lois because she leaves so little behind, like so many working class women of that era. You know, there's no... She doesn't remarry. I don't know if there was ever a possibility... You know, I doubt she would have said never, you know, perhaps the opportunity never arose. Because, of course, as you say, you go into the First World War and and suddenly there's a lot of surplus women. So it wasn't terribly easy to get married for women of that generation anyway, because there just weren't so many men around. So who knows? Maybe um, maybe there just wasn't the opportunity. Um, Kathleen did remarry um, in the early 1920s and she had another son. So she and she decided that she was going to be proud and happy that's how she was going to cope with it I'm going to be proud of what he did I'm going to be proud of him and I'm going to be happy and in his last letter to her he urged her to be happy and to move on and that's so eventually she did remarry and she was desperate to have another a child and she did that so she had her two sons um and yeah so a very different life really she moved into a whole different sort of arena then he was a politician, so she got involved in a whole different sort of world. Have to ask about the children. You've mm. mentioned Peter, um, yeah. 
mentioned them being snapped before they know what's happened to their parents. Did yeah. you cover much about their experience of all of this? Um, yeah, so, th- so there's there's four children involved. So there's Lois's three and, and Kathleen's son, Peter, as you mentioned. And Peter, um, Peter Scott's obviously famous in his own right. He was very, very young. He was only two when his father, you know, when he last saw his father, he, doesn't, he, didn't, he wrote about him, he didn't remember his father. So he didn't feel the same sort of pain of loss of his father because he didn't really know him. But there was the leg, obviously the leg, huge legacy to inherit. In some ways, um, a bit of a, could be a burden, depending on, on, on your personality, I think, to inherit that sort of, um, you know, a parent who's made this, was seen by the world as having made this enormous sacrifice. So that's quite interesting. The Edgar's three children, who are that bit older and remembered their father, uh, it much more difficult. Also, because as I mentioned before, Edgar then was blamed in some quarters, in the papers, for example. And although it wasn't everybody who blamed him, there was enough of it that it sort of stuck. And what was thrown at him was this idea, which is again a, a, an Edwardian sort of idea, that that the working classes are weaker physically and mentally than the upper classes. So Edgar must have crumbled first, and perhaps he had a breakdown, and perhaps so. And that was an enormous stigma at the time to have mental health issues at the time, which just was really so. What Lois then was was faced with was people saying that her husband had had was sort of mentally and physically weak. And that weakness had caused the death of these four fine gentlemen. So a dreadful, you know, dreadful, that, that terrible burden to put onto this poor woman who's now having to deal with. And of course, even if it's not many people saying it, that's the sort of thing that sticks. And in a small community, it's the sort of thing that get, gets whispered about, isn't it? And the children oh, were picked well. on at school. The children were picked on, you know, at, and... Um, I'm in touch with the the descendants, with the the, the grandson and the great grandchildren. And they said, you know, he his father did say he was he was bullied, and he didn't like to talk about it. So for them, a very different sort of legacy, really. Wow. Um, so you've mentioned Kathleen's remarriage, but what about life beyond the expedition as time passes and the public moves on? What happens to each of them, and how do they find ways of coping with moving on? So. Again, all very different. I mean, for Lois, I think it's just about surviving. It's about three children. It's about keeping a roof over their heads and carrying on. And so she she settles back in Wales. She settles back in Swansea, where she was born. Um, her brother comes and lives with her. Her sister's around the corner. Her parents, while they're still alive, are close by. Her children stay close by as adults. So she ends up... Um, living in a very close community with her family all around her, with her grandchildren, going to local church. So I think it's, you know, to me, that seems like a very happy ending for a woman who sort of struggled to keep her family together. They've stayed close and they are close and and, and are till till she dies. So um, Kathleen, I think we talked a little about, so Kathleen remarries, um, has a second son, um, and she is a very successful, sculptor and so she builds a career sculpting she's got work in the royal academy she's got work now in the tate so she she builds her own very independent life um she's married to a politician so she gets involved in, in, in his work a little bit so she sort of picks up where she left off which is the artistic life which she was very much involved in before her marriage 
Um, and for Oriana, I think it's a little bit more sad because Oriana, as I think I said, she her faith is the thing that keeps her going. This is what God wanted for us. Therefore, I have to put up with it and endure it. And I've got Ted's work and I'll make sure that gets out. But she, during the First World War, she loses a brother. She loses other people and she eventually loses her faith. And that must mean that you then revisit all of these events and see them in a different light. Because it's not possible to now say, well, that's what God wanted, if you're not really sure that there is a God anymore. So I think that's a tragedy for her, that she has to try and see Ted's death all over again in a different sort of way. They never had children. Um, she ha She's quite close to some of her nieces and nephews, but she has a slightly more solitary sort of existence and falls out with some of his family and but she takes on some of his interests so she's interested in in birds and painting and all of that um so again different seems a little bit of a, of a, of a more less fulfilled life to me but I, I couldn't possibly say how she felt about it but it seems that way a little bit to me with Oriana it's a fascinating story and thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about this uh widows of the ice the women that scott's antarctic expedition left behind is available uh, it's on the history hack bookshop buy it from us because then Anne gets her cut small bookshops and we get a cut as well and jeff bezos doesn't get anything because he just spends it on rubbish like going into space <laughs> Don't your money not buy it on Amazon. I'm such a massive hypocrite. And thank you so much. Oh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been great. When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support and here's to your next great book.